You're listening to Income Averaging Allowed Litec Housing to Reach More People. Will it last? A Trump-era policy that actually helped poor people could be dismantled by the IRS. By Mayor Rindy. In 2019, the nonprofit Urban Land Conservancy held a series of public meetings to help shape its plans for Venia, a proposed affordable rental complex in North Denver's Elyria Swansea neighborhood. The community engagement process confirmed the importance of the project in the face of billions of dollars in public investment in the neighborhood that threatened to send property values and rents soaring and force out many low-income Latinx residents. It also highlighted the urgent need for homes that extremely low-income, or ELI, households could afford. Aaron Mirapol is ULC's president and CEO. A lot of what folks in the community were saying is like, we've got to have units that are at 30% AMI and below. This is where a lot of families in the community, what they make. And so that translates to that kind of that 30% or, and to be frank, even below, right? Like 20% AMI, right? Like thinking about how to get there. To accommodate those families while ensuring the project's financial stability, ULC needed to find a way to offset the very low rents the families could pay. The project was being financed with low-income housing tax credits, or LIHTC, and traditionally the only way LIHTC units have been able to house ELI households is when those households also have a housing voucher. But there aren't enough of those to go around, and they are not available to undocumented people. ULC wanted instead to make up the difference by setting substantially higher rents for other tenants who could afford them and cross-subsidizing. Typically, this hasn't worked for LIHTC units because the upper income limits for covered units was 60% of area median income, or AMI, not leaving enough flexibility to support the low enough rents. To thread that financial needle, however, ULC took advantage of income averaging, an alternative LIHTC option authorized by the 2017 tax reform law. The rule lets landlords accept some tenants who earn up to 80% of AMI as long as all the households together average out to no more than 60% of AMI. Along with enabling ULC to offer rents affordable to extremely low-income community members without vouchers, income averaging can help projects qualify for additional funding streams, such as loans the City of Denver offers to developers of deeply affordable housing. Income averaging projects have other advantages as well. They create affordable units for moderate-income residents who wouldn't otherwise qualify for assistance and provide social, health, and educational benefits for residents. Mixed-income housing, quote, creates extremely strong communities, says Diana Stoyan of Columbia Ventures, ULC's development partner on the Vina project. In order to, to fully achieve equitable development and serve um, multiple bands of income, Income averaging is is the solution. Filling a need. When the Federal Tax Cuts and Jobs Act passed in 2017, it was criticized for broadly favoring the wealthy. Among other effects, the resulting lower tax rates for corporations threatened to reduce incentives for investing in housing tax credits. At the same time, advocates were pleasantly stunned by the last-minute addition of what the IRS calls the average income test option for LIHTC-backed projects. That's according to Jen Brewerton, Vice President of Compliance for Dominium, a large Minnesota-based affordable housing developer and operator. We were all shocked, absolutely shocked, when it did get released. 
Housing advocates had lobbied for federal income averaging for years. It's particularly important in rural areas where low AMI brackets and sparse populations can make it difficult to find enough qualifying prospective tenants to allow the financing and construction of LIHTC complexes. At the same time, some urban areas have more affordable units in the 50 to 60 percent of AMI range than they can fill, and simultaneous shortages for homes for ELI and moderate income households. That's according to Peter Lavavi, Executive Vice President at Brinshore Development, a large affordable housing developer based in Chicago. We have been building for this unicorn of people between 50 and 60 percent AMI for 30 years. So the program, when it was originally designed, was meeting a need that was enormous. That need has been filled. It was filled two decades ago. So the program doesn't work well for people who make less than 50% AMI. And it certainly doesn't work at all for those who make more than 60% AMI. Brewerton says Dominium quickly embraced the new test, making income averaging its default choice for LIHTC projects. It published explanatory guides, worked with housing agencies to develop state-level regulations, and helped tax credit investors build their comfort level in the new option. One of the company's first projects converted former public housing units in Georgia to project-based Section 8 through the Rental Assistance Demonstration Program. The company used income averaging to avoid displacing longtime residents whose incomes had risen above the old limit of 60% AMI according to Brewerton. In some places, Dominion found that even with income averaging, most tenants still ended up being in the 60% AMI bracket because the local market did not support higher rents. To pull in more tenants who were closer to the 80% AMI limit, such as police officers and teachers, Burton said the company built an affordable complex in a desirable section of downtown Minneapolis. Identical two-bedroom units rent for $885, or $1,830, depending on the household's income. It's this beautiful community that looks no different from the communities around it. It's across the street from the convention center there in downtown Minneapolis. It's just absolutely stunning. And now it's serving people at both 40% AMI, 60% AMI, and 80% AMI, kind of all living together with the true intent of what average income is able to work and live downtown. Dominium has built or renovated seven developments using income averaging, but in the last two years, it has also had about 15 others that were canceled or changed to a different tax credit option, Burton said. That's because in October 2020, the IRS published a proposed rule on income averaging that appears to make it troublingly easy for a development to suddenly fall out of compliance with the tenant AMI requirements. If that happens, the development loses all its tax credits for the year and possibly for the full 10 years of credit. The investors who acquired the credits suffer a major loss and expected tax reduction, potentially in the millions of dollars. After the rules release, investors' interest in income averaging plummeted, and such projects became extremely difficult to finance. Elevated Risk Brewerton believes the IRS did not understand or was hostile to the idea that the federal government should expand LIHTC to assist moderate-income households. Then the IRS came out with this whopping draft rule that 
scared the bejesus out of everybody. And based on all of the comments and everything that we've seen and been able to read into, they feel like there's these big, bad developers that are going to be out there that are only going to lease their 80% units and charge 80% rents. And then... Um, and, and just do 100% of the property at 80% friends. Just to note, that actually would not have been possible under the averaging provision. Unfortunately, as you know, the tax credit program is run out of treasury. It's not run out of HUD. It's not run out of by people who understand housing or care about housing. They care about taxes. They created a series of rules that made it very, very difficult for investors to monitor and do compliance to make sure that the tax credits could flow in this situation. Because of the perceived risk, the few investors who still agree to income averaging deals end up paying less for the tax credits than they would have otherwise, reducing the amount of funding available to developers, according to Lavavi. One problem with the IRS proposal is that it conflicts with other federal policies by not allowing a unit's AMI designation to change. Brewerton gave the example of a third-floor 80% AMI tenant who becomes disabled and under federal rules must be offered a more accessible first-floor unit if one is available. If the first-floor apartment is a 30% AMI unit, the IRS says the landlord cannot just swap the unit designations to accommodate the disabled tenant. As a result, if the person does make the move, the building is suddenly out of compliance and could lose all of its tax credits. Another big issue is the proposal's unprecedented strictness about the impact of individual units going out of compliance compared to the rules for other LIHTC options. For example, one of the older LIHTC tests requires that at least 40% of a building's units must have qualifying tenants. This is called the minimum set-aside. To maximize the tax credit, the percentage of qualifying tenants may actually be much higher. Many LIHTC buildings are 100% qualifying tenants, but the program only requires that 40% of them be. In that scenario, if at some point some tenant income start exceeding the limit, the developer can simply stop claiming credits for those units. The project loses a few hundred dollars worth of credit, but as long as it satisfies the minimum set aside, most of the millions in tax benefit remain. Under the IRS draft rule, however, the 40% minimum no longer applies to income averaging properties. A developer cannot just stop claiming credit for a few units in order to rebalance the AMI average. If incomes go up and the building average even slightly exceeds 60% of AMI, the development can fall off a so-called cliff, going fully out of compliance and losing all its tax credits. As a result, investors may require developers to maintain lower tenant AMI averages in an effort to lessen the chance of non-compliance, Lavavi says. That reduces the amount of rent that buildings bring in to cross-subsidize rents and cover expenses. The Biden administration has promised that the IRS will issue a revised final rule by the end of this month that will address the problems with the 2020 proposal. Brewerton said it is essential that the government fix its implementation of income averaging if the option is ever to fulfill its potential in the long run. If any part of that draft rule that came out becomes a final rule, then average income will go away, will completely go away. No one's going to want to do it. Thanks for listening. For more stories like this, go to shelterforce.org.